When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Jake Labatz, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Welcome to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, a Pantheon Podcast. Music, culture, conversation. And good old-fashioned rock and roll. So now, I give you Miss Pamela and her pajama party. Hello, dolls. You are listening to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party. And today I have a really thrilling guest, Johnny Hickman. He is a founding member of Cracker, the lead guitarist, a really wild guitarist, and the reason I'm talking to him, it's different than most. I mean, I really enjoy Cracker. I always have. And I like his uh, solo stuff, too. But we became friends on Facebook. And he's such an interesting guy. And you can just follow him on there. And he's very positive. I just love his optimism. So that's why we connected as Facebook friends. You know, he's in Colorado. And uh, we're going to talk to him today. So I'm really excited. And looking forward to actually, you know, interacting with him that's, that isn't just on a Facebook page. So he's about to join us and you're going to have a ball. Johnny Hickman, and I'm so excited to chat with you for real. Oh, you're you. you're really one of my favorite people to see pop up on Facebook uh, because you're so either you're really incredibly optimistic about everything, or you're pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, I like that too. Yeah, very kind of an emotional fella. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I go on my rants on there, uh, for better or worse, and uh, you know, I get I, I skew political here and there. Yes, I mean I'm 67 years old. I've lived some, what? some Don't, years. Wait a minute, you are a you are a hot looking man. Oh my god! <laughs> Thank you, darling girl. <laughs> you really are. Well, not that 67 can't be hot, but you know, I thought. <laughs> I thought you were, I'm 75 after all, but I thought you were several okay, years. Okay, that blows younger. my mind. I thought you were right around, I knew you were a little older than me, because I, I think I told you this once before, Pamela, one of my first rock concerts as a teenager was seeing Detective. Oh, so, yes, right. One of those really cool perennial opening bands, you know, like, yeah. like Jay Giles was, or, you know, it would be like Hendrix with Jay Giles, or, you know, somebody huge with Detective, and 
Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Swing Auditorium. I, that was one of my first uh, rock shows as a young teenager. Wow. What did you think? They were great. The song that stayed in my mind, uh, None of Your Business. That's the one that kind of stayed in my mind. Ain't none of Your Business. Yeah. Michael's still a great songwriter. He still puts music out. He, you know, he's a DJ, of course, on Sirius. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I crossed paths with Michael again, um, sort of mid cracker career. Uh, my friend Davey Farragher, who plays with Elvis Costello and Jackson Brown, but he's a phenomenal bass player and he played with us. But he uh, called me up one day and he said, hey, you want to go do the television show that Michael, you know, WKRP? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I said, I'm actually off this week. Yeah, sure. So they called me up and we'll come down and we're going to put together a fake band for the show. Yeah, of course. I remember that very well. But I think we were called like, a pillage and plunder or something. <laughs> so, oh, God, dog, Michael's name was Dog Boy. I remember that. <laughs> dog Boy. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, we, well, tell Dog Boy I said hello. So I met him on the show. And, it, and, uh, and at one point, somebody was kidding him, poking him, uh, because he came over to talk to us, you know, being a fellow musician, and we're talking about yeah. what we're going to do. And yeah. so, hey, Michael, are you with the band? You know, it was oh, just like, oh, God. Hey, Funny oh. and the whole place backed up, and he just kind of turned around like, oh, God. yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, we're still very close, we're very, very close it, friends, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 very good, as you should be with your ex, yes, right. I mean, so many people are surprised about that, <laughs> you know. I divorced about three years ago, uh huh, but very close with my, my, with my, all my exes. I just, I just think that's important. Yet another, me too, um, Johnny, me too. I, Another relationship that uh, suffered from me just being gone on the road constantly. And uh, yeah, hard. that's yeah. hard. No, yeah, I know. But, you know, the woman knows what she's signing up for. Exactly. Thank you. And, and if she doesn't, <laughs> she's not, you know, the, she's not a true groupie, groupie heart. A lot of people won't admit being a groupie. But, you know, the the for me, it's synonymous with the word love, you know, so. Well, I completely agree. I'm. I, uh, I'm a groupie. I readily admit that uh, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> being a fan of, of, of Chrissy Hine, that I was showing up at shows and eventually we talked and she said, you look familiar. And I said, oh. yeah, in a band called Cracker. She goes, I've seen you, you know. Oh, that's exciting. We were talking about it backstage at, uh, we were kidding, at uh, one of the big Euro festivals. I think it was Pink Pop or one of these ones and stars who stalk other stars, you know. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot. There are a lot of them. I remember the first time the GTOs played, my band with Frank Zappa, yeah. the girls, Mick Jagger was in our audience. It was 19, late 68, and it was just the idea of that. That's after, not nerve-wracking. <laughs> after seeing the stone so many times to think, wow, he's out there looking at me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How did it go? Did it go all right with the GTO? Oh, uh, uh, sure. Yeah, it was our debut. We just we didn't have songs yet. We were we we sang "Getting to Know You." Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From the King and I. Oh wow, oh, boy! And the mothers backed us up. Yeah. Oh, the mothers of invention were your band. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. We were opening for them and Alice Cooper. One of those nights, you know, that's a long time ago, but you never forget. Speaking of a long time ago, this is where I like to start with my podcast. I like to start at your beginning in case, you know, some of my people listening to me may not know your history. Sure. And I want to go there with you. 
So I want to know the first time you became aware of music in your life, in your home. Uh, aware of music. As a little boy, uh, mom and dad got, got us all piano lessons, uh, which I'd always try to ditch, but ended up eventually realizing that, wow, this is a gateway. And I was the kid who mom and dad would bring to, I was a military kid. They would bring to the officer's club and I would play piano or guitar or something when I was seven. So I was kind of like the, the, the mascot kid who could sing you a song. And uh, you know, I was born uh, the year Elvis had his first hit, 1956, Heartbreak Hotel. And my mom, I remember my mom who passed away just a couple of years ago, she said, when you were born, like the, the nurses were combing your, your hair because you had hair and they were combing it and they, into a little wave. And they said, you can't take them home unless you buy them a guitar. So she did. They did eventually, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. What a cute little anecdote. <laughs> so I got into music pretty early. I was a little little kid and a military kid. So uh, I know that a lot of fellow musicians are from military families. And it gets you ready for that whole gypsy sort of thing where you've got to make new friends every couple of years. You're always the new kid. It was just painfully shy and music was a way for me to sort of just meet new kids and jam in new bands. And I was always the young, I was always the kid in the band back in those days. When I was 12, 13 years old. I was playing at clubs and I had to stay backstage and this kind of thing. Um, kind of, you know, with permission and this sort of thing. But my poor parents, they were just terrified. I bet. <laughs> my cousin, Nancy, um, Every time I think of Nancy, I think of you. I think of the L.A. scene because she came out to California when she was in her late teens and I was 12 or something or maybe almost 13. And she would sneak me into the clubs down in L.A. because she was the knockout girl who, uh, you know, was a big rock fan. And she used to sneak me into the clubs down at the whiskey. And I'd have to stay in, in the balcony and everything because I was a little I wasn't supposed to be there. You know? How did she sneak you in there? They were pretty careful about that stuff it was a little looser i guess in the late 60s early 70s when this was going yeah yeah i guess everything was <laughs> she was really gorgeous and she would challenge me and say you know i know he's a little kid he's not supposed to be here but he's already playing guitar and he really loves music okay if he plays on the balcony and we have a chaperone with him up there so to make sure he doesn't go out into the club and they're like yeah well okay some of the club owners like are you kidding me get sued no get out get that kid out of here but some of them are actually okay. I can't remember the gentleman's name who ran the whiskey, but uh, uh, Mario. Mario. Mario and Elmer. Elmer Valentine owned the whiskey. Mario was the manager. Okay. Well, one of those two cats said, Yeah, you could, the kid can stay in, but he's got to stay up on the balcony. So here I am up on the balcony with the little, the little railings watching one rock show after another, you know. Do you remember any standouts from that long ago time? Janis Joplin. Oh, I was I was there for her show. The Doors were doing a residency. Yeah, they were huge, a huge, huge Doors fan. We'd sit and listen to our Doors, and I just missed getting in to see the Doors. Uh, we went down there, and they said there are so many people inside that we're already in trouble. Oh, it's packed. Yeah. When we first started playing there, there weren't that many people. They were just getting known, but toward the end of their I guess their uh, their run at the whiskey yeah. there. I was there for all those shows. Yeah, reading all the doors, especially every once in a while, your name will pop up. And go, <laughs> oh, this is so cool! What a magical time! I know. I had some crazy nights there. Oh, I'll bet. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a cousin who would sneak me into these shows, so that was uh -huh. really 
And uh, I said, well, oh, I'm going to do that. You know, of course, every time I'm at one of these clubs or the Swing Auditorium or the Forum, wherever, I'm sitting there, the little kid in the audience going, well, I'm, I'm going to do that someday. Yeah. So Which, you knew that. I was going to ask you, you knew very early on that's what you wanted. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I did. I had other jobs, of course, to, to make ends meet. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I had my, my, my mindset on it and I was going to do or die. And uh, huh. it took me till I was not almost 30 before I got a record deal. Well, actually, that was a second record deal. First record deal went, went up in smoke and fizzled. But uh, it was with another band and we, we, brought, we broke up. But finally, you know, at that age 28, 29, I finally got a record deal with Virgin Records and we started making our cracker records. And uh, that went on a long time. Yeah. 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 It's still going on. I like to, to tell people I'm really glad. I feel really fortunate that it was our, uh, our second record that kind of blew up. The first record did pretty well. It's just called Cracker, uh -huh. the self debut, as they say. Yeah. And eventually went gold. Um, took a while, but the second record blew up and eventually went platinum. So. Oh. Hey, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. What was that time frame like for you? Was that like a party all the time or, or, or did you have a family yet? Or was it, I mean, how, how did you get through that, that platinum time? 
<laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I just trying to stay mm. calm and be smart about it. Uh, my partner and I, uh, David in, in Cracker, uh, we both sort of, I remember sitting down with management, with everyone and just saying, you know, let's not develop like ridiculous uh-huh. drug habits. And uh, yeah. not that we didn't party, but, you know, let's not take care of ourselves. Make sure we're around for a while. Let's not go run right out and buy a Maserati <laughs> or anything. So, that's, that's wise. We brought practical cars and partied somewhat. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And you toured a lot. Oh, God, constantly. Yeah, I'm just now getting really close with my older son, who's now an electronic a DJ and a producer, and he's busy. He's doing, he's doing well for himself. He's That's producing wonderful. a new record that I'm working He's working on Pop's record, he tells everybody. Oh, you know? oh it's so great. But a lot of his childhood, I was, uh, I was gone, and then it was really difficult. Uh, I'd go by the house and pick him up and throw him on the cracker tour bus. And just tell his his mom trusted me, and I just put him on the tour bus, and away he went. Oh, and here boy. he is hanging out with Counting Crows and Beck and like all these uh, people who he's sitting at home listening to on a stereo. When he was five or six years old, I just said, "I, I can't be away from him this long, guys. My kid with us," and they just all kind of went, "Yeah, all right, you know." So he had he yeah he he had to have music in his life. He was uh, it was part of his DNA, obviously. Oh, absolutely. Both my sons, I have a, a, a boy who just turned 21. Uh, they're half brothers and um, they bond constantly. One, my, my one son lives in Indianapolis. The other son lives here in Colorado, mm-hmm. up in Fort Collins. Mm-hmm. And they're on the phone all the time, just talking about mics and gear and stuff. So it's all three of us that the, the, the half brothers and the dad really bond over music. Uh-huh. Oh, that's, that's the best way to bond. Going back to your childhood, what, what, kind of music was played in your household? My dad was pretty cool. He played piano and he sang. He was a, a, a military pilot. Uh, you know, he was in Vietnam, Korea. He lost a brother in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. It was during those years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my dad was, he was pretty hip uh, for an Air Force colonel. Um, <laughs> you know, he in, in the house, it was Peter, Paul, and Mary. It was Pete Seeger, although he was like, you know, those lefties, you know. He was he was certainly a right wing man. Oh, okay. at the time, he completely we did a one eighty on that later on in life after he retired, grew a beard and. Oh, is that how does that happen? You know, life he was life. A decorated Vietnam vet and a pilot. Yeah, and you know he got more and more into music because here's his son Johnny, uh, making records and so forth. Uh, let's see who else was playing in the house. Harry Belafonte was big. Mm-hmm. Nat King Cole. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents didn't really care for Elvis, but oh, Frank Sinatra all the time. My mom was a big Frank Well, that's fan. great music, though. I mean, that all that music is excellent music. I remember as a hippie, I said, fuck Frank Sinatra. <laughs> right. He's an asshole. And, all. and then, I, of course, I got over that. Uh, I always loved Dean Martin, though. Dean Martin was my childhood crush forever. <laughs> my uncle worked on his tv show he was the uh he, he worked with the dancers and stuff so i got to go to the show oh, live when i was very, thir- 13 you know just wow see, martin you know oh, oh god see we got jumped in early and that, that's just such a beautiful thing and yeah. we're, we're survivors here we are yeah, you know i know <laughs> in the business and, and doing okay <laughs> i you know one of the things that um uh not to interrupt you but to that i really feel grateful for is that I got into the into music and playing in bands when I was in my early teens. So I was around. I was in bands with guys a lot older than me, mm-hmm. and I got to see uh, 
the good and the bad, you know, I lost a couple of them who overdosed or, you know, or, uh, you know, ended up really harming themselves. Yeah. And uh, I'm 12, 13 years old and sort of pacing myself around that. Like, mm, yeah, uh, this drug's pretty fun. That one, I'm just going to let that one be, uh, you know. But you know, I'm honest with both my sons because they're men now. But I tell them, yeah, dad's probably done every drug in existence a time or two. But I never really developed like a bad habit. I'd already had friends, you know, overdose and die and all these. Well, you were real young when you saw that and, and it really affected you. I had the same experience. Yeah. Just a lot of my exes, you know, Keith Moon and, you know, various friends, John Bonham. I mean, there's so many people, Graham Parsons, my God, who, who left us so young. But I never, I was like, I never had an addictive personality. I just, my dad was, but I got my mom's side of that. And that was, that was good. But. Yeah, it's, it's really the luck of the the DNA. It's the luck of genetics, whether you're addictive or not, right? So, yeah, so you have to either fight that your whole life. I've got friends um, who are, it's all or nothing at all, you know? And yeah. uh, they see people like us and say, well, how can you get away with like a well, It's some of it, I think, is maybe genetic, just not, a, and some of it's personality. You just have the personality where you're not going to be a slave to some substance whatever it is you got too much to do you know <laughs> yes yes that's right that's how i feel it seems like that's how you feel yeah you know following you on social media basically an optimist that's why you know i felt drawn to you and because i am too so how did where does that people ask me how how are you an optimist in this crazy freaking world the way it is right now especially right now um yeah, so how do you maintain that what is that do you have a higher power thing happening? Well, I do meditate. Uh, and I'm, I, I'm a spiritual man. Yeah, me too. But I'm not, I don't believe in organized religion. I was raised hardcore Catholic. My, my publishing company with BMI is Bad Altar Boy. So that, <laughs> you know, where that comes from. That's but, you know, I had Bad Altar Boy. Uh, and I, boy, I was. I had uh, family on both sides. One side is uh, more Irish. The other side is Italian. So lots of Catholics. Uh, monsignors, priests, uh, nuns, uh, you know, clergy on both sides of the family. And here's crazy Johnny, you know, off, off rocking and rolling. Um, <laughs> and it, it scared them all a little bit, but eventually they saw that, you know, I, I, but I think that's where a lot of my positivity comes from is that, uh, you know, moving around a lot as a kid, I had to be, I couldn't be the shy introverted kid that I was born. I was a really nerdy, shy kid, mm. bookworm. Mm. Uh, I realized that if I'm if I'm going to make it in this world, I really got to come out of that shell and really learn to connect with people. And it has served me well. And the positivity, some of it comes from going through some some real deep pain, mm. uh, losing people really young, um, family members, uh, so forth, friends, and uh, going through that and uh, and getting through it. Right, getting through that sometimes is like not easy but you come out on the other side stronger somehow there it is that the, that's that's the gist of it right there Pamela. yeah is that uh, you let it work for you mm -hmm. the aches and the bumps and the things yeah. you know, remain positive i have friends who are the same way i think you know uh my friend jesse dayton oh yeah <laughs> yeah i sure do boy does he he barrels through it he's the he's the best you <laughs> know he's got positivity too yeah 
I don't know if you read his book, A Bull Monster, which is mm-hmm. pretty great. Yeah. Pretty great world book. But he talks about being a kid in Texas and uh, being right up close to all the racism and all the, you know, the ups and all mm-hmm. the, in the clan. And it was all right around him. Oh, and uh, he just, in his young boy heart, he said, that's not going to be me. Yeah. And he just stayed the course. And here he is a successful rocker. Yeah, and a great, he great really guy. doesn't. He just keeps on going. My ex-boyfriend, yeah. Mike Stinson, drummed with him a lot. So I saw a lot of Jesse Dayton. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love the small, the small world meter. Yeah, of course. Oh, so um, what was uh, like the first record you bought? This is what something I always ask. I, I do women's writing workshops and we start with, what is the first record you bought with your own money? Do you remember that? That would be uh, Rubber Soul. Oh, a winner. <laughs> I'm going paper route money. <laughs> wow, Rubber Soul. Cool. Yeah, and then Revolver. Uh-huh. Then so you were a Beatles boy. Oh, absolutely. Oh. Uh, it was about the Stones, but mostly actually about the Kinks. I don't know what it was. The Kinks got me. God, I love the Kinks too. They really got me. <laughs> oh, they really got me too. <laughs> just a great, great rock guitar riffs that are simple enough that I could play with my little seven, eight year old hands, you know. Wow, so, yeah. Da, 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 da. The best riffs have two or three notes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think that's uh, people ask uh, me often about, you know, what they think the key to the cracker success formula was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's it's a couple of things, but that's one of them is that, you know, I, I, uh, we knew each other as kids in Redlands, California, David Lowry, who uh, was already pretty well known from his band camper band, Beethoven, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Very, sort of a, a sort of um, a little bit of a critic's darling band, but they were really hip and really cool. And he's always been a brilliant songwriter and he's half English. His mom's English. So he would go to England every summer and he really had that English sense of humor. Uh-huh. And uh, we got together we still had his intellect and his really unique uh, lyrical uh, ways. And I, and I'm come charging in with these three, four note riffs. And when those got together, boom, uh, we had a hit on our very first record, Teenage the world needs now. And then uh, low on the next record. And they're really, they're really just based around real simple guitar riffs, you know? Well, people love that. Everyone can relate to that. It, yeah. I, it's musically, it's, it's pretty simple. I try to come up with riffs that people can't get out of their heads. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I purposely do that. Self- <laughs> good, good. You know what works. Yeah. You know, as, as people, in, in the early interviews, someone asked uh, David Lowry, and I we, we do a lot of interviews together. David and I sort of have, in the industry, they sort of call it the uh, Steely Dan uh, model, where it's two guys mm-hmm. and writing all the songs and who are signed to the label, and we bring all these other incredible musicians in for the, every record, uh, every tour. We have, a, we have a, hun- a couple of hundred people that we call on and make huh? records. And, and it's just fantastic. Wow. The way that David described uh, the Cracker, big radio songs. Yeah, we, we suddenly got on the radio and, um, and things really happened. And we still have an incredible fan base. They call themselves the Crumbs. Uh-huh, yes, I know. And there's Crumbs, U- there's Crumbs UK. There's crumbs Southern Contingent. There's crumbs Canada. They're, you know. That's so wonderful. There's not a billion of them, but they're they're really devout fans and really good people. And 
I connect with them all the time. But a cracker song is the way Lowry described it in an early interview. He says, well, Johnny makes a racket on guitar. <laughs> and then I talk some shit. Then he, then he makes the racket again. And I talk some more shit. And then we do it at the same time. And <laughs> something I admired about you guys was is that you brought country music too to people who Absolutely. had never heard of Merle Haggard or whatever. And that's so that's so important. Thank that's you. so important. Graham Parsons did that for me. And uh -huh. and when you do that for people, it, it, it expands, you know, it's very expansive. Because you it, it, you were like country punk, really. I mean, I know that I'm sure you hate the term like that, but but it's a great combination. <laughs> it really is. And uh, yeah, in the 60s, and I know you remember this pretty clearly, country was sort of considered in sort of the right wing music. Oh, yeah, it was it was lame. And so yeah, people like Graham Parsons uh, and some of my heroes, that's the thing is like David and I were really big Stones fans and Kinks fans and Beatles fans. And those guys were always pulling in country chord progressions and country riffs and talking about how much they love Porter Wagner. Or how much they love Merle Haggard, uh, you know. George and, Jones too. That was the, he was Graham's hero. Yeah, the King of Broken Hearts. The best music, uh, I think, quite often ha happens at the genre mixing at the, at the hybrid point, you know. So very early on, when we started Cracker, we decided we made a conscious decision not to edit out any of our influences. Oh. And of course, that Sex Pistols and the Clash, and Beefheart, yes. uh, and who we loved. Uh, and, uh, but at the same time, it's like, wow, you know, I mean, I spent a lot of time up in Bakersfield, my, uh, my older sister who just passed, mm. who was transgender, but she was a piano player, keyboard player and backing vocalist up in Bakersfield. Wow. So I would go up there and bring me in for jams and things. So we were hanging out with, um, the Buck Owens people and Merle Haggard and all these folks. Nothing's cooler than that. Nothing. Oh, God, I agree. That's, that's what I was doing. And David and I knew each other in Redlands as punk rock kids. Uh, he this was pre-internet and pre-cell phone, and he tracked me a couple of texts. And where's Johnny? Oh, he's up in Bakersfield. <laughs> so he tracked me down to Bakersfield, and I'm playing drums in one country band. I'm playing mando in another one. I'm kind of loosely playing bass and guitar in various, you know, bands. And he tracks me down up there, and I said, "Did Camp Van Beethoven break up?" I heard, you know, this time it was all the rumor mill. There were no. There was no internet. Yeah, I know. I remember those days. <laughs> David saying, yeah, you know, fucking bands, you've been through it. Yeah, I know. But what are you doing now? I don't, you're up in Bakersfield. And he asked me, is it serious? I said, well, not really. I'm just soaking up the country thing. I mean, we were both military kids and both of us grew up on military bases across the South long before we met in our teens as punk rock kids. We were the punk rock guys that would sneak away and listen to, to the Buck Owens and Johnny Cash. Or Dolly Parton, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, with our morons and our blue hair, and the other, it, we couldn't really admit that to the other punks. It would be just so unhip. <laughs> but then we made this record, and I had this. I, I showed him a song I'd written called "Mr. Wrong," which is a very popular song with the with the Cracker fans, and it's a straight up country song. And it's our the countryside of Cracker uh, is sort of filtered through our British heroes, you know. Uh, mm. We were, really loved the way that that, uh, that Nick and Keith and John and Paul and George and the Davies brothers wrote country songs because they thought, well, I think it goes like this, you know. So it's filtered through their British brains, which is some yeah, of the coolest music. That's kind of where we come from with our country thing. We never, we would never call ourselves an out-and-out -out country band, but it's certainly there. Yeah, 
I know it's so there. Yeah, that's what I noticed right away. I think I think I interviewed David for my column for Italian Rolling Stone or something years ago, and what a kick he was! Oh my god, <laughs> you probably wouldn't remember. I mean, you guys do so many interviews, but I remember. He, it. he probably would. He's uh, he's he's a very very sharp man, very unique fellow. Uh, but David, because um, I I loved the band. I loved. It. I thought it was. I mean, just so unique i mean unique it's incredible when anything even if it's a conglomeration of different types of music it it becomes its own thing and and that's why you were so successful and are so successful you still tour with cracker right we sure do uh we're kind of kind of uh having a light year this year we're both working on solo records and doing other things and david uh teaches at the university uh, of of georgia too he now has oh. his doctorate in mathematics uh, which he's <laughs> in the back of the tour bus. He's studying and doing these exams. Oh, doctorate my goodness. I love it. While we're on the road doing the rock thing. I mean, just an amazing human being. And so he does that. He, he teaches during the school year. Uh, but this year, we're kind of laying low a little bit, uh, keeping our powder dry, as David puts it, uh, for next year, because next year is our 35-year 35, 35 anniversary. So we're going to blow it up big. Wow. Next year. We're going to blow it up big. Uh, so... Why don't you play us, you know, one of your songs? Why don't you play Mr. Wrong? Sure, sure. Okay. It's one of the first songs that I brought to the Cracker Camp, just right out of Bakersfield. I wrote it up in Bakersfield. And as I'm writing this song, Mr. Wrong, um, David liked it so much. He said, well, can I sing it? I go, yeah, you're the lead singer. I wasn't, I wasn't taking, a, taking a stab at singing lead vocals yet at the beginning of the band. I just wanted to be the guitar player and, you know, co-write the songs. And eventually David said, oh, you got to sing too. So now i love it but uh, at the time i had this song and i uh, showed it to david and it's one of the one of the moments where we just sort of bonded and said oh we could have a pretty cool band oh how wonderful perfect song he said can i sing it i go oh absolutely david lowry you know he was my friend but he was also becoming kind of an icon in the indie uh -huh. scene so to have him sing a song that i had just freshly written was pretty good. oh that must have been awesome i'll take it back for uh, for right now well, meet me by the river that goes nowhere. Let me lay my sorry trip on you. And won't you meet me by that river, little darling? I might just let you see my bad tattoo. Well, I was gonna bring you flowers, but I didn't. Here's the thought that counts, and I think I'm a bit too broke. But there's some change in my ashtray, maybe just enough to pay for a half pint or something, probably make us choke. Well, no, I'd rather not go meet your family Cause they'd probably send me back where I belong I don't want to hear about your Mr. Right He's out of town tonight <laughs> Baby, come and spend some time with Mr. Wrong I got a one-eyed Malibu without a muffler it's got a tape deck that works if you kick it hard enough 
And baby, if you'd like to read, I got some great pornography and a 10-pound flashlight rolling in the trunk. Well, no, I'd rather not go and meet your family. They'd probably send me back where I belong. I don't want to hear about Mr. Wright. He's out of town tonight. Baby, come and spend some time with Mr. Wrong. When I do, you have a sister. Does she look as good as you? Hey, would she like to meet my brother? We'll be out of jail in a month or two. that song oh, were, you, were you mr wrong I mean, <laughs> song is at least a little bit autobiographical right yes yes of uh, course the inspiration song came from one of my brothers and i was a that he came oh. up and, hang out. and he actually did have a malibu without a muffler take that that you had to <laughs> kick to make it work like the eight track please you had to kick to make it and my brother uh and he had a friend that we called porno man there's a friend of his who had, he always had a, a whole trunk full of porno magazines. <laughs> the true story, in other words. Oh my God. Yeah, it's an amalgam of people that I met up in Bakersfield, my brother, and uh, sort of put it all together. And I just sort of made this guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's really funny and really smart. And God. Oh, and that was one of your first songs you wrote? Was that one of your first songs? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Wow. You know? Pretty cool. Eighties, I wrote that one, and uh, of others that uh, up on Cracker Records. And it's the thing about having two songwriters in the band. When we first got together in a room, we each had a pile of songs and a pile of riffs, and then we continued to write more, and then you know hundreds of songs. To this day, we'll go back to that initial uh, book book. There's a uh, uh, note notepads and so forth. Like, oh, remember that? Mm -hmm. I forgot all about that one. And we'll say, oh, well, it just. You never wrote a good bridge for it. No, you're right. Okay, let's let's make a bridge. Now we're both working on our solo records and not yet all the wood. Both of our uh, we've both been making uh, solo records. The last Cracker record was called ba Berkeley to Bakersfield, and it was mm -hmm. disc set. One was kind of more certainly our country. We decided to just split it in two, and the, the Bakersfield disc is the country sort of stuff. And the Berkeley stuff is the more rock political mm -hmm. uh, mm. uh, stuff. 
And so we just said, why not? Let's just make a double. Who makes a double record? It, you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's wonderful, though. God, you guys, it's just, you just keep going. I love that. And you have Campstone Records for your stuff, right? Yeah, and we're making we're working on solo records. And now my my little baby boy, who's now 36 years old, is producing. And he's incredible. Oh. Uh, in, the, in the electronica world, he goes by Star Crusher. That's his deep okay. electronic artist name. And he's, he's uh -huh. second album. And one day we were hanging out and I went to see him in Indianapolis where he lives and he's got his recording studio. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm I think I'm about ready. Cause he asked me, are you going to make another solo record? Yeah. I'm working on it right now. And I showed him a couple of songs. He went, you know, um, how would you about, how would you feel about me producing it? <laughs> I went, all right. It's not in your regular wheelhouse. Yeah. That's what I think that's, would be a, that would be great so, yeah it'll stretch him yeah yeah he's out of the dj the dj electronica world and you know he loves all kinds of music he's just got a really eclectic taste so we're about three songs in and i'm flying back and forth to indianapolis and oh son is producing me which is just that is so cool bonding that's, that is just magic isn't it oh it feels such magic yeah. you know oh, yeah he's so good at what he does and he's in his studio just you know doing all the bells and whistles and really making it sound incredible. Mm, I can't wait to hear it. And I like, I'll pull out my wallet and there's one of his little, little pictures of him at two years old. I go, that's him. Oh. <laughs> oh, so cool. And I have a, we, he has a 21 year old half brother and my son, that, that is, uh, boy, if this guy doesn't become a rock star, there's just no justice. He's about, he's about six, two, six, three. He looks like Ashton Kush Kusher. Is that the guy's name? Kusher, yeah. Kusher. 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 Beautiful <laughs> kid. He looks like that guy. He's beautiful. And he drums in one band, guitar in another band. Wow. Boy, they're all, all musical. That's wonderful. Everybody's musical in your family. And the last time I saw Thaddeus, yeah, he just turned 21. And last time I saw him, he said, Pops, the next time you see me, I'm going to be a singer. I went, wow. Okay. This guy is a lead singer. Oh my God. I said, can I manage you? You know, because, you know, um, yeah. so there we what, go. what was your first live show? Do you remember your first live show that you went to? That I went to? Yes. Or was was part of? Uh, no, that you went to. I went to. Well, Detective was one. Oh, yeah. Wow. I was, I was a young. Remember who they opened for? I can't remember. Maybe ZZ Top or. I don't think <laughs> Kiss was around yet, but it was somebody pretty big. Or, um, oh, you know what? I think it was Leon Russell. Leon, oh, Leon and Mary Russell yeah. when they had the pianos back to back. Yeah. Uh-huh. Leon Russell, pretty cool. On the piano and playing guitar. And with, uh, I would, well, when I'm watching Leon Russell, I'm thinking, that detective band was pretty cool. Uh, I remember there was, a, there was a ginger in the band. Was that the bass player? A uh, drummer. Drummer, okay. John Hyde, yeah. Here, okay, yeah. Yeah, he was—he's still a ginger. <laughs> real ginger. I've always had. He's a real ginger. Yeah. I don't know whether it's because I'm dark and sort of Italian, but uh -huh. then my partner in Cracker is a ginger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Did you go to that show by yourself or with your parents or what? Uh, with with uh, older friends, uh, there was okay. an, a, a gal in her early twenties who said, "Yeah, I'll take I'll take care of him." And convince my mom that you know I'll, I'll keep it. Oh. It'll be okay. Wow. Yeah, because I'm like 13 or something. Or and, yeah, yeah. You know, at the rock show, you know, just walking in and it's like walking into a bong with all the weed smoke. I'm like, wow, you know. 
I think I got a contact high at age 13. But yeah. we a detective, and, who, and I think it was Leon Russell. Yeah. Okay. What other what other live shows stand out real young that, that influential for you? Uh, Zeppelin, Zeppelin uh, at the Swing on a San Francisco. Oh, you got to see them. Zeppelin right around. Uh, yeah, once again, my cool cousin Nancy's. You know, getting taking taking me under her wing and getting me into shows. Uh, I saw Zeppelin at oh. the time of Zeppelin Three, which is my favorite mm-hmm. Zeppelin album. Mm-hmm. And I remember they had beards. They they had changed their yeah. Look. They got into their beard look. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> we were really going down the hot. Had many looks through the years. Yeah, and uh, and it was just incredible. Um, Zeppelin was a very big was a big one, and it was great to see them years later on the, the Physical Graffiti tour. You know, mm-hmm. and difference the way things were, and you know, going to see rock shows early on. I'm sure you probably remember this too, uh, for the '60s and early '70s. They really hadn't figured out the PA thing yet, and mm. so there were, you know, that's I think that's why a lot of uh, guitar players these giant stacks of Marshall amps, and because you weren't in the sound system, you just had to make whatever noise you could make. Now, of course, you can have a beautiful sounding small amp, and they put it in the big system. It wasn't that way back then. Everything was just sort of, everybody was still learning. You know, the, I was sitting yeah. on those amps up on the stage with Zeppelin. So <laughs> I didn't <laughs> oh, and hanging with Jimmy. Oh, my yeah, God. I was. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should play a little Zepp. What's, what's your, do you have a favorite Zeppelin song oh, or have, one, one of them? One of my little gold records back there uh, is uh, in Conium. We were had the honor of doing the Zeppelin tribute album. For Atlanta, for their late oh. Atlantic. Oh, how fabulous! So let's let's play one of those. Which one? Um, yeah, uh, originally that uh, we we did uh, when the levee breaks, but then oh. we, when the Zeppelin camp called us and said, "Well, you can't we can't put that one on there because it's in dispute with uh, oh. uh, a songwriting dispute, so we can't use that one." But we'd already tracked it, and we're on the road. Like now, what are we going to do? Oh, we're in San Francisco, and at this point, I'm thinking, "Shit, all the good songs are probably taken," you know, and a lot yeah. of them were, but. Um, Nobody had taken good times, bad times. I went, you kidding? Ah. We went into a studio <laughs> and did it in like an hour, just banged it out. So that How was cool. Yeah, so there's, that's from me and Coney. Okay, we'll, we'll hear a little bit of that. 17, I fell in love with a girl as sweet as could be. It only took a couple of days till she was rid of me. She swore that she would be our man and love me till the end. All right, we're back here with Johnny Hickman. What 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 is the most recent music you saw you you enjoy? I I saw you stick up for Taylor Swift on oh. on your page, and I thought that was so cool. I think she's. Just how about people going again? I mean, it makes no sense. <laughs> it's insane out there now. It's crazy. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, look at this. This is, this is a girl who worked her way up all the way through. Is a fantastic songwriter and a and a. And a a, a kind philanthropic person. She's a good person. Yeah. I think yeah. I have two sons, but if I had a daughter, I would, I would, you know, think, well, that she's like the perfect role model for these yeah. young girls right now. She is. And she has been for 10 years or something. Yeah. Oh, she deserves every bit of, uh, of her success. 
and uh, she's going to, she's, uh, you know, stirring up the, the political landscape. And I say, fantastic. Yeah. Good. Yes. It, needs, it needs stirring. Yeah. You know, well, she, I know she, she, she was for Biden a few years back. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Good for her. Um, and she's a phenomenal talent. I went and saw, I went and checked out her tiny desk concert because I go, okay, with all it's and all the, 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 the huge, the bands and the, in the, in the production. But it's just her sitting with an acoustic guitar or a piano singing her songs. And I'm like, okay, she's good. She's very good. Great little singer too, you know. You know, just like all great songwriters, they reflect what's going on out there. Sure. That's that's how it was for me with Dylan in 60, oh, yeah. late 64, early 65. I discovered Dylan. I still wear. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, he, 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 he did that for me. Oh. He reflected what was going on in my tumultuous teenage self that couldn't actually quite be expressed. Sure. sure. And she kind of does that for her fans. I'm right yeah. with you. I'm a big, big Bob fan. Um, oh, you are good. Yeah, I, love <laughs> I, I love to connect with Dylan people. Anyone who doesn't like his voice or tell whatever. I, love I just, <laughs> I love his voice. It's different all the time. But when I look at the Bob music and it's Bob singing it, I feel like it's, it's the pure source, you know? And yeah, uh, yeah. I was a teenager and I got on the Bob Dylan uh, page uh, through Blood on the Tracks, which is my favorite. People ask, what's your favorite album of all time? Blood on the Tracks is not only my favorite Bob album, it's my favorite album, period. You have such good taste, Johnny. Oh, thank you very much. That <laughs> album and Bob, I remember reading an interview with Bob once and I'm, I'm good friends with, with Rob Stoner, who worked on the Rolling Thunder Review and Charlie. Oh. When they came through town, Charlie Drayton was playing drums. Yeah, no, I saw the show, of course. I never missed it. He played on our Gentleman's Blues album, Charlie. Oh, wonderful. He's such a cool guy. Speak about a gentleman. Yeah. Gigantic, huge stars as bass players and drummers. But I got Bob on Blood on the Track, so I had to go backward. You know, I was once again hanging out with people quite a bit older than me. I said, so now that I really love Bob Dylan, and they said, oh, yeah, we'll get Blonde on Blonde. And they they were steering me toward like the really incredible other stuff. Highway 61 was mine and bringing it all back home. Those are my two favorite oh, records ever. Yeah. And Like a Rolling Stone is my favorite song of all time. Oh, that's a good choice for a favorite song. It's <laughs> so good. Oh, he There's knows. so much in it. There are 20 songs in it. Yeah. yeah, there's yeah. Well, 20 he knows, ideas. You can go off all over the place. I mean, he oh had God. songs on the radio that were not in the two minute 58. Yes. Oh, he changed so many things. Changed so many things, you know. Yeah, he 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 made it so that people had to think about the lyrics in rock and roll and say something important. Oh, do I have to do that? I guess I do now. You know, Ooh, baby, baby, Ooh, baby, baby, you broke my heart. There's <laughs> a lot bigger world out there. Yeah, and he he taught that he taught us that, and he's still out there doing it. Yeah. He had his first number one, you know, with that. About two, three years ago, his first number one with that big long twelve-minute song. What would you remember what oh, it was uh, called? Um, um, Murder Most Foul. Yes. Oh, it's incredible. It's, it's so incredible. Another twenty songs in one song. <laughs> yeah, and talk about the rules breaking. Here's a song that's an entire album, and it's yeah. it's charting. Like you know. I know it was number one. His very first. Amazing. Very first. Yeah. Yeah. But the last thing he's thinking when he's tracking that one, he's you know, he's I know, I know. one of his big. I know. I'm but sure it was a surprise. Of, oh, hey, record label, here's the single. You know. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, I'm going to Tulsa to teach my workshops in oh, in uh, April. 
and and I'm going to go to his that library. Have you been there yet, the Dylan Library? Uh, yeah, I'm very oh, excited. I want to hear uh, what it's like. Yeah. yeah, and he he knew to save everything, just like the Stones did. Certain people saved everything. Oh, like uh, like uh, handwritten lyrics and yes, yes, everything. Stage passes and tickets to when they were they were kids going to shows and stuff yeah yeah i'm really oh. looking forward to that it's right next door to the woody guthrie museum which i have you been there no i haven't oh gosh you got to do that double whammy oh, I, oh <laughs> that would be i would be in heaven you couldn't pry me out of there you know yeah i was there a long long time too yeah. long time. did you uh i think i saw your name pop up when i was doing when covid hit everything's now is like post-covid and pre-covid i know it is i know it's such a strange world. My my Friday nights from the cave in my basement room there. And yeah, was, yeah, yeah. And I remember, you know, and I was so fortunate. I thought, well, what am I going to do? Larry and I had uh, uh, non-refundable flights and hotels booked, and we were just hit, already hit the road, and the whole thing came crumbling down. I thought, well, what am I going to do? So uh, a, a few other people had the idea right around the same time to just do live shows from your house. And uh, my pajamas, whatever, with my glass of wine. And uh, the first, I think the first one, there were three or 400 people. The second one, there were a couple of thousand people. And there was one night, there were 8,000 people watching. And I just, I couldn't think about the numbers because then I'd start getting nervous, right? Yeah, that that's great though. That was smart of you. Very, very wise. Plus you want to play. I mean, right? I mean, yeah, you want to be creative. You want to create in that incredibly <laughs> But it was perfect. Because I, I I set it up uh, so that uh, I, people could tip me through Venmo or PayPal or, or what have you, mm -hmm. and I yeah. paid my bills that the couple about two months with those every night I would do the Friday shows, and I started and I started doing and I don't want people to get bored, so I started doing themes, you know I think it's called Bring Me My Medicine. Oh, you know, I remember, I remember your themes. Drugs and, and you, your your fans are called hickers, right? But they were the hickers. Well, the, the crumbs <laughs> are the big ones, but. There are the hickers. You have you have your own personal ones, the hickers. Yeah, yeah, they, uh, oh, uh, your 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 Facebook page is like a diary. <laughs> for better, you know, for your fans, and and I think they really appreciate that. No, oh, I love connecting with them too. Yeah, when I finally started winding down, because uh, we hit the when things got uh, better, we cracker hit the road again, and when I wound it down, I had over half a million views. And I just looked at those numbers and went, wow, man, you know, and it made my get through. Yeah, that's so many people. Yeah, you got a lot of new fans, I'll bet. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, word kind of got out. And I forget about it. I'll be at a cracker show now and people come up and just give me a hug and say, you you got us like a couple, you know, uh, you got us through a quarantine with those shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, oh, you know, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was wonderful. It was great. I'm a connector. I know you're, you're. I am too. Yeah, I feel that way. It's a blessing, you know. Why don't you play us another song, a new, a song from Blood Moon? Oh, uh, let's see. Do you have one hand, handy in your brain? <laughs> I haven't gone over them in a while because I'm so deep into this new stuff. Okay, well, play us a new one. What, what, whatever you'd like to play, a, a recent one. Okay, how about a non-recent one? Okay. <laughs> a solo one. Because the, the All right. I haven't quite got them to where they they feel quite comfy enough to to do. Uh, I'm, I'm changing verses and, and and so forth. Yeah, yeah, uh, I understand. The first solo record I did, uh, Camperman Beethoven got back together in uh, around uh, the year 2000, 
And so David got busy uh, reuniting with Camp Van Beethoven. I thought, what am I going to do? So I made a solo, my first solo record, and it's called Palm Hinge. And uh, I just put it out on my own little imprint and just made a couple thousand. Of them. And I don't know how he got a copy of it, but uh, Robert Criscow heard oh. it. And he gave oh. it Voices Choice in Village Voice that month. And people, I wonder. I didn't even know. People are calling me like, Johnny, you're... Your record's reviewed, and he gave it an A minus. I went, well, that's pretty good, you know. That's really good for well, him. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I was with no publicity. I didn't have a label. Somebody just put it in his hand and said, "Yeah, this, 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 this is Johnny from Cracker. This is the other song singer, guitar guy, in Cracker." And he listened to it, and he really liked it. And he gave it a great, great review. He got from the get go. He got that it was a, a little bit of a concept album about the decline of California and. Um, uh, yeah, but but it, it has a lot of a positivity in it too because because I'm me. Yes, thankful, very well, thankful. Well, yeah, I'll, this is the this is the very beginning. It's just a little uh, introduction to the album Palm Hinge, and uh, yeah, you'll you'll hear a few uh, influences here. Here on the edge of the continents. Horizontal gravity draws destitutes and dreamers and the trust fund bourgeoisie between the silent San Andreas threat and the gray green smoggy gloom. The surf is up, but the chips are down. The dark side of my room. Yeah, the circus up, but the chips are down on the dark side of my room. Wow. What a great line. The surf is up and the chips are down. Dark side of my room. I did. Picked a little yeah. from the Beach Boys there, and just yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. growing up in Southern Cal, so that just yeah, that's how the album starts with that little piece of music, and beautiful, and all kinds of uh, little touchstones of California and Southern mm -hmm. Southern Cal. Uh, yeah, that'd be a good one to do. I think I have a yard sale. Lose half the fall I own. Move up to Northern California. Become disillusioned. Move back home. It's just something that I like to think about. When I'm drinking and I'm swimming in the midst of doubt. Look out over the valley where the mighty tractors pound. Orange trees, families, they go spinning to the ground to make way for houses that all look the same. Put in a couple of palm trees and give it a Spanish name. We'll throw another beer can on the fire. Toss me up another cold one, won't you, pal? Well, thank Jesus for the beaches, lest we take too much for granted down here in Southern Cal. 
was down for 10. Vote Republicrat. Elect another hypocrite who lets us down and laughs about that. It's not something that you'll hear him talk about as he counts that dirty money that he can't do without. So we'll throw another beer can on the fire. Toss me up another cold one, won't you, pal? Well, thank Jesus for the beaches, lest we take too much for granted down here in Southern Cal. Hey, let's go to your dad's house, start another band, so the cops don't spend the whole night sleeping at the donut stand. Well, let's be something that they'd rather do yeah. Drive up to the mountains where the grizzly bear once stood. Look out over stucco land. Admit that it's no good. But let's be something that they'd rather do without how. Or you can just take me to the desert. You can let me out. We'll throw another beer can on the fire. Toss me up another cold one. Won't you how? Well, thank Jesus for the beaches, lest we take too much for granted down here in Southern Cal, down in Southern Cal, down in Southern Cal. <laughs> Wonderful. Southern Cal. Yeah. Do you ever miss it? I sure do. I sure do. Oh, you do? Okay, good. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, the crumbs, there are a lot of crumbs in, in the Inland Empire in Riverside. Mm, yeah. Amber Dino. Yeah. And I have another song. Uh -huh. Oh, boy. They like that. It, my, my music is, you know, really, really very regional, especially that record, yeah. my first solo record. Um, uh -huh. It's a song called San Bernardino Boy. There's Southern Cal, and it's really about that whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. At some point, I'll do another song for you here. To keep to end on a positive note, if 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 you'd like, but uh, yeah, any any questions, any more? What else you got? Well, I just want to, you know, what uh, you know, what's in your future? Of course, whatever you want to talk about, uh, you know, that will help you get more uh, fans or whatever. I I know you have your own label, right? Isn't it Camp Stove Records, Camp Stove which Records. is a great, yeah. Yeah. and you have another band, Hickman Dalton Gang, right? Is that yeah. a country thing? That's is kind that of a country band here in Colorado. Oh. Uh, oh. my friend Jim Dalton from the Railbenders, and uh, they are local legends. This band, uh, and Jesse's played with us. We have we do shows as the Three J's, Johnny, Jim, and Jesse. You know we've done. Oh, nice! It's been real cool. But the the Railbenders, um, yeah, huge Colorado band, um, and uh, we just played the Gothic Theater in Denver, and we were worried they were worried about doing their christmas show at the gothic because they usually did it at the bluebird which is a smaller theater 
and moving up to the Gothic, which is pretty huge. And they sold that out. And oh. it was just such a triumph. And these are like yeah. brothers, these guys. So yeah. it's just huge. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting the perspective of, I mean, when I first got to Colorado, friends of mine were telling me, there's a band you should go see. These guys, the Rail Benders, they're right up your mm. alley. They're just mm. rock, mm. absolutely rock and rockabilly, but country, but mm. just really, really cool. And Jim Dalton, boy, he's just a sexy bitch, man. He is just like, he's got a voice. <laughs> he's got a coal-fired baritone like Johnny Cash. And he's, mm. just, oh, yeah, he's just amazing. But uh, people brought me to the show, this band, the Rail Benders. So I go and meet him, and uh, I go backstage and do, aren't you Johnny Hickman? I am. He said, I've got every one of your records, man. Oh, <laughs> it's just like instant bond, you know. What a thrill! Oh yeah, and I forget, you know, that you know I'm kind of a known dude, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And so now you have that band too. So you're 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 staying super busy. You're oh. still super creative and upbeat. It makes me very happy to know you're on the planet. Oh, thank you. right back. <laughs> yeah. to we're the connector. Yeah folks like us yeah yes we're connectors yeah. so if you want to do you said you might want to do one more upbeat song for us before you leave sure uh you, okay great you mentioned that i was somewhat of an optimist yes uh, which i'm proud to say that i am indeed yes me too and uh i'm very fortunate to have uh, a couple of different songwriting partners david lowry of course another friend of mine uh who's a teacher and a great great songwriter this guy chris leroy and he and i had punk rock bands together in like like 77 78 uh, but we still stay connected this is a song that he and i wrote um, okay good and it's called lucky well i'm lucky for my fingers got a lucky bed to sleep Lucky thoughts, they linger Lucky as I leave Sometimes I turn my mind to days Before we're broken too Yeah, but I'm lucky I'm so lucky For the times I spend with you Some call it destiny. They say we don't control our fate. Yeah, but me, I don't believe that stuff. I'm luckier that way. Sometimes I turn my mind to days before we're broken too. Yeah, but I'm lucky. I'm so lucky for the times I spent with you. What more could I ask for? What more could I do? What more could I ask for? I owe so much to you. Yeah. 
I'm lucky I'm still dreaming. Lucky to have cried. Yeah, lucky for the bad luck. Just lucky to have tried. Sometimes I turn my mind to days before the broken truth. Yeah, I'm lucky. I'm so lucky for the times I spent with you. For the times I spent. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much. Love it. <laughs> and I have to say this, of course, I am so lucky to have spent this hour with you. Oh, right back to you. Well, that was quite a wonderful hour spent with Johnny Hickman. I knew it was going to be wonderful to hear his stories and just soak up some of his energy. But wow, I didn't know just how swell that would be. And I am one lucky B-I-T-C-H, dolls. So thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, produced by Aaron Alden and Christian Swain. All sound design by Jerry Danielson and Busy Signal Studios. Find Miss Pamela at Pamela DeBar on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Find all the Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you find great podcasts. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Pantheon Podcasts, Rock and Roll Archaeology on Instagram, and Pantheon Pods on Twitter. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.